Welcome to Reliability Matters, a podcast for the electronic assembly industry. Each episode covers topics related to reliability, best practices, and environmentally responsible assembly techniques with insights from experts across the electronic assembly industry. Now, here's your host, Mike Conrad. Dr. and Professor Ron Lasky, Raga Kanan, and Ladia Clement, thank you for all being my guests today. And the mysterious person who's not moving, uh, Annika uh, uh, Balch, is also with us in spirit. Uh, we hope that she'll be joining mm -hmm. us in, in person in just a little bit. She had a meeting that is running long, uh, as Zoom-type meetings do. And um, uh, we hope that she'll jump in when she's done with her meeting. And when she does, we'll, we'll uh, put her uh, in the screen here. But for the moment... Um, we have her likeness uh, on our screen, her avatar. So welcome all of you. Uh, thank you for uh, being my guest today on Reliability Matters. Uh, Dr. Lasky, can you, you know, more formally and more in a more in-depth manner, introduce your students? Sure, I'll, uh, well, I'm a professor uh, of engineering at Dartmouth College and um, Nadia and Raga and Annika co-authored papers with me at the 2020 PAMPAC in, uh, on the Big Island in Hawaii. And I talked to Mike a little bit about maybe it'd be interesting for his viewers to uh, understand a little bit about that because I think it is it is uh, something that's maybe unique. So um, I wanted to give some papers at PANPAC and I wanted to see if some students would be involved. So um, Raga and uh, Nadia and Annika all co-authored papers with me, all on different topics. And um, Dartmouth was very helpful uh, that, that they allow um, undergraduate students, which they are, to go to conferences and they pay for some of it. So pretty much they were able to go with uh, very minimal expenses uh, on their own. Excellent. And, uh, and gave uh, papers. Uh, let's talk just for a few minutes about the papers that were, that were given. One thing I love about PANPAC, it's not your traditional technical symposium. It's not subject matter based. It's where some are, you know, you go harsh environment conference, cleaning and coding conference, voiding conference, additive conference, where you have a very narrow uh, subject matter. But in this case, it's very eclectic. There's quite a bit of technical material, obviously, so that doesn't uh, disappoint. But there's also, you know, one of our keynotes was an astronomer on the island and, and talked about his findings and, and things like that. There, it's a, it's a very interesting symposium, um, even though they call it a microelectronics symposium, it's way more than microelectronics involved. Um, but if you're going there for microelectronics, you won't be disappointed. Um, let's walk through uh, some of the papers. Nadia, let's start with the paper that you gave. And of course, we're, we're going to take you off the hook. We're not asking for your entire presentation over again. You've been there, you've done that. Uh, but I did find um, uh, all the papers very interesting. Uh, tell us what your paper was titled and, and, and kind of a, from a press box view, what it was about. Yeah, um, thank you for having us again. Um, so my paper was called Why Bold Distribution and Analysis. Um, and so it was co-written with Dr. Ron, as he mentioned. Um, and basically it was kind of a Weibull analysis 101 type paper. So we discussed um, what Weibull analysis is and how it can be used um, to do uh, reliability analysis, um, survival analysis. Um, and yeah, so we, we went through how, how to measure um, 
you know, and make probability plots for um, failures um, for solder um, and the different types um, of materials uh, that are used. And then we also went through in the end um, how to do the analysis in a program called Minitab. Um, yeah, so that was that was my paper. For our Maybe audience. Oh, yes, please. Dr. Yeah, Dr. Ron, yeah. Yeah. Um, th this really uh, uh, took me off the hook a bit because what I did is uh, I have a lecture on Weibull analysis and I was kind of lazy. So I asked Nadia if, if I gave her the PowerPoint slides and she could see the video of me lecturing. It's about a 45 minute lecture. Could she write the paper? So um, it, it helped me because I was kind of busy and, and she essentially wrote the whole paper herself without me. Of course, the background material was from my slides, but it was still really, really helpful because it isn't it, it isn't necessarily simple to take a PowerPoint presentation and turn it into a paper. And I really didn't have to edit, edit it at all. So it was really helpful to me and I think a good experience for her. Yeah, excellent. Uh, Raga, tell us about your paper. Sure. So um, I was able to co-author co a paper with Dr. Ron on autonomous vehicles. Um, Dr. Ron basically brought me into his office and was like, Raga, it's 2019. Do you think there's going to be a fleet of robo taxis on the road next year? He's like, I don't think so. So I was able to research about what the current systems in place are, like the ADAS systems, such as your um, like cruise control or advanced adaptive cruise control and those systems and see what the process of going from the systems in place to a fully autonomous vehicle entails and what technology is needed. And so we're specifically focusing on um, artificial intelligence and whether the current artificial intelligence meets um, the standards that are necessary to produce fully autonomous vehicles. So it was really exciting to research about, see what technology is currently in place, what kind of like precision is required for these systems and the testing standards that are needed to get so these on the my, road. This is one of my favorite subjects is the, the whole concept of autonomous cars because, um, you know, I'm into reliability, hence the name of the show, Reliability Matters. <laughs> and as, as cars become more electrified, as they become more computerized, um, the unlike the old the so-called old days when we started putting computers in cars they were for infotainment they were for you know, seat massagers or or seat heaters or or satellite radio mm -hmm. and things like that and if they failed arguably first world problems right my seat my, my back is sore because my seat massager broke and you know i couldn't program it uh, now with adaptive cruise control and and automatic lane correction uh, and and mm -hmm. rear and front uh, collision avoidance and blind spot indicators and all you know, all that. Uh, if any of those things fail, we can get seriously hurt or worse. And, and I I like to um, in my in my other shows I, I've talked about the fact that I've become a worse driver today. I consider myself a really good driver. You know, it's not like Rayman. I'm, I like to drive. You know, I I, I really yeah. like to drive. And um, when I first got when I had my first car with all of this modern safety stuff, uh, I didn't trust it. So the adaptive cruise control, I would, I would, you know, speed up on slowing traffic and my foot would be right there over, over the brake, just in case the computer didn't get it, you know? And I was a nervous passenger to all this computer aided driving. 
and my blind spot indicator. I would see something flashing or not, and I would still look over my shoulder because I didn't trust the system. And same with you know, reversing and automatic parallel parking. I, I, my hands were there ready to take over. Now, I fully trust those, those systems. And now, I don't look over my shoulder. I trust my blind spot indicator. I don't put my foot over the brake ready to intervene. I trust that it will see the traffic slowing and slow down and all sorts of examples like that. So now, if something does fail, I'm not ready to take over, right? So I, I've kind of put my safety yeah. into the hands of these systems. And, and unlike I airplanes... Oh, go ahead, Raga. I was just going to say, I think there was a quote I put in the paper um, from Stephen Sheldover, and he says, imagine if your car froze as many times as your laptop or phone. And that's kind of an example of what precision of software is required so that you can trust this car to do the driving for you. Sure. And in the aviation world, you know, with autopilots and auto throttles and all these different things in, in in the cockpit, um, you know, we've had automation for, for years in the cockpit. However, there are there is one primary computer and two backup computers for every safety system on there. So, you know, yeah. if one fails, there's two backups. And that's not the case in the you know, auto industry. We're not selling automobiles for $300 million, you know, that we would sell a 777 for. So, uh, yeah, a whole different world with, with automation within the automotive industry. And I think one of the things that, well, you tell me, what, what's holding back the fully autonomous, what do they call that, level five or what, whatever the, the top number is? What are they? Yeah, level four and level, level five. Four and I level mean, the five. main, yeah, so the main thing is currently autonomous or current vehicle designs could probably drive on their own, entering the highway, exiting the highway. But what the main issue is, is like pedestrian. So not only does the car have to do the driving, but they also have to perceive the actions of pedestrians, other cars on the road. So it's all those traffic intersections, like roundabouts where you look over at the person to signal you're gonna enter. Those kind of little actions that we do naturally from years of experience is really hard to teach a car. So you're basically just running simulation after simulation through the car to teach it the stuff through machine learning. But the amount of edge cases you need to account for is very difficult. Right. I think that's probably the main issue that's holding it back. Yeah, let, let me chime in a little bit too. Yeah. Since, since so we wrote this paper, I've become more of a skeptic. But by, by what I mean by that is, uh, just as Raga said, um, even like five years ago, um, uh, Tesla I think had systems that uh, we live uh, north of uh, Logan Airport in Boston by about two and a half hours. And if you get on the main highways, it can do that pretty well. But but the last five percent that you need to be able to do is gonna take years and years if it will ever be achieved. And a lot of it has to do with what humans would call common sense. Uh, it, it, what if there's a, a detour? What if there's a detour and you have to roll your window down and talk to a policeman? Or uh, as somebody pointed out, you, you're driving in town and you see a bunch of people at the corner and you look at them and you can tell by their actions, if they're just talking and look at each other, they're not gonna cross the street. But if they're looking like they might wanna cross the street, a human can can read that pretty quickly and it's really really difficult for computers anything that we call common sense for computers is not common right that doesn't fall into binary that doesn't fall into one or zero it's like one and a half you know zero and a half it's it's i i I remember about four or five years ago people were saying uh if you're a young person don't become a truck driver because you'll 
you won't have a career in 10 years. I, I just, that there certainly there will be trucks that will be driving part of the way. And maybe instead of two drivers, they'll have one. But I just don't think um, even in, in, in 20 or 30 years that there'll be cars and vehicles that can completely drive by themselves because of these. The last 5% is really, really hard. Well, there's a reason why young people pay more in insurance because statistically younger drivers get into more accidents. And, and I don't think it's because they don't know how to drive. I think it's because there's no experience, exactly to your point, uh, at the corner looking in someone's eyes or seeing their eyes in their rearview mirror, you know, in front of you and predicting what they're going to do. By the time you've driven for as many years as we have, right, yeah. uh, Professor, and, and me, <laughs> we, you know, not Raga, not we, we practically, <laughs> you know, had to, had to crank start our cars, practically speaking. And, okay. and uh, we can predict what other drivers are going to do. And, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll be driving with my wife and I'll go, that person's going to do this. And she goes, how do you know? I'm like, there, there they go. You know, you just get in tune. And you're right, computers, I think the, the delay in fully autonomous uh, top-level uh, driving is, is humans. It's, it can't predict what humans will do. It, it, computers can predict the predictable. It's very difficult for a computer to predict the unpredictable because how do you factor that in? It's gonna, if, you, if you program a computer to predict unpredictable things, it's going to be paranoid. It's going to call all these false predictions, right? Because, yeah. Yeah. because it could happen, not because it's likely to happen. One, one of the things that's related to this, not exactly the same, but I think it shows us where artificial intelligence is. Artificial intelligence can do very focused tax, tasks very well. But Steven Pinker, uh, an author, um, pointed out that no artificial intelligence connected to a robot can empty a dishwasher. And when my grandson was five, <laughs> I think I could show him how to empty a dishwasher and he could figure it out. And it's not that we can't do that today. People that study this don't think we'll be able to do it in 10 or 20 years. It's just the, the things that are often easiest for humans, the common sense things, are really, really hard for computers. Right. Right, exactly. Uh, Nadia, I want to go back to you. Um, on I realize there's probably some people listening to this podcast or watching this podcast, and uh, we lost them at the word Weeble. So so let's go back and tell oh, me, okay. what, or Weeble, um, tell me what that, type of analysis is uh, compared to maybe other types? What, what makes that particular technology stand out? Yeah, um, all right. So in using Weibull analysis, um, you basically, um, if, let's see. So if you have, you know, failure rates, um, in let's see maybe if we go down to page three um there's a couple yeah there we go so if you see um these different types of failure um patterns uh have different shapes in um sort of a a regular plot um so you would see uh early, you know, infant mortality failure, there would be, you know, a lot more at in the early um, time. And then wear out failures would happen in the end. And then sort of random failures are happening all across. Um, and so you get this bathtub shaped curve. Um, but with Weibull plots, um, you can see more of a um, sort of linear pattern. Um, 
And then with that, you can see outliers um, as well. Uh, and so, yeah, if you go down a little bit, we can see, uh, see a libel plot. that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Ron, did you have? Yeah. No, I was just going to say to show that. Yeah. 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 So that's, um, you know, one of the main um, benefits. And so then if we go down to page four right there, yeah, you can see when there are multiple failure modes um, that can become clearer in a Weibull analysis. So there we can see um, there are kind of two outliers at the beginning and then, uh, you know, a different straight line after yeah, and that's probably two different you know, really failure helpful. Modes. yes yeah yeah um so, you couldn't see yeah, that with, so a, that with a, just a standard plot you'd have to have a weibull plot to see that and are there particular uh types of analyses that that are more suitable for a weibull uh diagram or a weibull plot than others are there or, or the inverse are there certain types of of um analysis that just don't fit into that type of uh, that type of structure. Can I can I chime in a little bit, please? Um, yeah. So so Weibel um, got this idea uh, in like the 30s, and he proposed it to to plot uh, fails uh, in in with Weibel analysis. So often you get a straight line, and of course uh, you you think everybody would have loved it initially, but it it really uh, any new thing, it's it's hard for it to be uh, accepted. But what he showed is that failures of almost any type often will fit uh, the Weibull curve. And he showed this uh, way beyond just electronics. But but now in electronics, it's it's almost it's almost too well accepted. It's almost like a religion. Hmm. And and some people will just um, do the plots and. And say here's the plot, and you get two constants from the plot, uh, eta and beta. And instead of seeing that the plot is telling them a lot more than just doing the Weibull analysis with a computer, and as as uh, could we go back to uh, Nadia's paper? Sure. So, um, in in a paper, that's actual real data. The people just um, if you see to the right, you see the Weibull equation, and uh, you're able to solve for eta and beta uh, when you when you plot it out like that, and it gives the best fit as you see the line in the center. But what the people fail to recognize is Nadia pointed out that the first two points uh, have a different failure mode. They're separate from the other points. And that's one of the things we pointed out in the paper that you oh, don't just use a computer to calculate eta and beta. When you see something like this, notice that there are two different failure modes. Interesting. So uh, Weibull came out um, named after the person who, who Lottie Weibel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was in the thirties sometime, 1930s. Sometime? Uh, he proposed it in the thirties, but it wasn't really, um, accepted until like the fifties. And it's almost always this way. I mean, when Einstein came out with his theory of relativity, everybody said he was crazy. Sure. And now it's really well respected. And it's the same thing with Weibel analysis. Um, it's, it's, it's now the, the end all and be all and obviously wrote the paper I do think it's important but what i find almost everybody does that i just showed is they'll just um take the data put it in a computer and get the aid and beta and not look and see that there might be multiple failure modes i was going to ask about and that so i was going to ask have mini tab uh, which is an example of a of an app that that can 
crunch those numbers. Um, yeah. How much have computers taken away the nuances of of a Weibel uh, analysis? I, I think it's 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 a lot, and I, I think it's it goes way beyond Weibel analysis. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but uh, when Weibel analysis was done before computers, you had to do it by hand, and so you'd you would painstakingly plot those plot those two two points that were from a different failure mode and it, it sort of becomes part of you because you spent a lot of time doing it and i find as a professor that uh engineering students today aren't quite as good at sometimes analyzing data as their father or grandfather might be because especially their grandfather probably did it with slide rule and it took hours where today you just put the numbers in and press a button it's done in 15 seconds so uh, I find often I have to work with my students to kind of step back and really look at it. what the, the the plot is telling you a, sp a story. Don't just you know instantly get some numbers and and write them down from the computer and and say that's it. You know, look at the data and think about it. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Let's uh, let's speak virtually or channel channel our friend Annika yeah. if you wouldn't I, mind. Yeah, I, I can I can talk about her paper. I think. Okay. All right, super. Okay, so um, this is these three papers were presented at the 2020 uh, SMTA PANPAC, and uh, Annika actually went with me to the 2019 PANPAC. She helped me author a paper on Tin Whiskers, Tin Whiskers 101. And while we were there, uh, the president of INEMI was there, and I asked the question, has anyone ever looked at the roadmaps that have were proposed, excuse me, the, the earliest going back 25 years ago, and seeing if the roadmaps predicted what really happened. And um, the people from INEMI said, not really. So I, I talked to Annika about it, and I said, would you be willing to, for a senior project, um, analyze some of the past roadmaps and look at what really happened and see, did it did it mate? And uh, so... INEMI gave Annika access to all of their roadmaps, and she uh, focused on a few areas. And uh, to tell you the truth, I was pretty surprised. A lot of the prediction actually did end up coming true. Of course, some of them didn't. But I, I thought, all in all, it was pretty um, supportive of roadmapping as something that's helpful to do. So when what the people said would happen in 1996, uh, most of it did. Not all of it, but most of it. And so um, Annika uh, presented that paper, and it was uh, the people that evaluated the papers considered it the second best paper at the conference. So, yeah, I thought for an under undergraduate that was that was pretty impressive. I'll read her I conclusion. I should say, by the way, uh, what, uh, the, what the conclusion was that I think in about seventy percent of the cases that the roadmap predictions came true. Yeah, I'll and read it, her conclusion. It's, it's quite interesting um, because it should not have been all that accurate because it's difficult to predict technology which yeah, isn't yeah. around, right? And new yeah, yeah. regulations so, and things yeah. like that. But she said, uh, INEMI has made um, many projections over the last century, a majority of them very accurate with all the advancements and new legislation to, to the point we were just making. Um, many would expect otherwise. Conversion costs and MPI cycles were all estimated very accurately, which is amazing because this industry changes at the speed of light. Uh, and um, uh, even it was, estimated to be very accurate even 15 years out in 1995 so much has changed we we're in this uh, not revolution but evolutionary time where everything we have had for the last 30 years we still have but they're 
half the size, twice as fast, half the cost. You know, they're just, everything's evolutionizing at, at a record pace. Uh, the area with uh, the most discrepancies, she points out, uh, was in component trends, uh, where in 1994 and 2002, roadmaps were largely overestimated the component uh, density capabilities. So it's hard to imagine we can overestimate component density um, because now I can't even see components. Wearing glasses doesn't help anymore. If you drop them, just forget it. I mean, they're going to end up in the soles of your shoes forever. But uh, yeah, it's, it was interesting to see the, the uh, analysis as being largely accurate on something that would be so difficult to predict, like the electronics sure. industry. Sure. Uh, I, I gave credit for to Dartmouth for paying to send the students, but I, I should also give credit to Indian Corp, Indium Corporation, in addition to being a professor at Dartmouth. Um, for almost 20 years now, I've been a... Um, work for them part-time as a senior technologist. And, and so they paid for my time to write the papers and and um, go to the conference and paid, paid for me to go to the conference. So uh, Indium Corporation and Dartmouth College uh, supported this. And I'd, I'd sort of encourage some of my professor friends to consider doing the same thing because what a win for everybody. It took a lot of pressure off me because uh, Raga, Nadia, and Annika are outstanding writers. So I really didn't have to, after they wrote the papers, I really didn't have to edit them hardly at all. And so it, it was a win for me because I, I was able to do more and a win for them because I, I think an experience like this is, is hard to, uh, you know, say how much benefit there is for a student to go to something like this. Yeah. And it was kind of fun being in Hawaii in February. I think it ain't bad. <laughs> it ain't bad. When my daughter was younger, she would have said, that doesn't suck. <laughs> there are worse places to be. Um, and I'm looking forward hugely looking forward to the 2022 uh, pan pack uh, for a number of reasons. I live in Southern California, so I, I don't go to Hawaii for the weather. Our weather's not, not so bad here. Uh, but, you know, the first major excursion, you know, work trip out of this pandemic to be Hawaii is, uh, is not bad. It's not bad. And I think uh, maybe I can mention a little bit what we're hoping that they're going yes. to present is, um, I um, have struggled to understand quantum computing. And the committee, uh, I'm on the organizing committee for the next conference, and um, all the people on the committee agreed, wouldn't it be really great if we would have uh, a keynote speaker on quant quantum uh, computing and maybe a paper on quantum computing 101. So you are in the presence of two uh, young gals that are working with a professor at Dartmouth to, to prepare this quantum, quantum computing 101 so all of us can understand how it works. And the professor at Dartmouth is also giving the keynote talk. So that's, that's what we plan. That's what we plan. Well, I have to admit, I'm one of, the, uh, one of the parts of the masses that really understands the phrase but doesn't really understand beyond the yeah, phrase yeah, of, yeah. of quantum physics and, and <laughs> quantum computing. Uh, so our quantum physics is quantum computing a derivative of quantum uh, uh, of quantum physics or yeah, are they... yeah it is it is but what what uh, I can't understand is supposedly the quantum computers even the ones that exist today which are really primitive can there's something called quantum supremacy which means uh, a quantum computer can solve a problem that a traditional supercomputer would take maybe two hundred thousand years to solve and a quantum computer can solve it in a day. And I just don't understand how it can be that much faster. And that's certainly one of the questions I would have in the quantum computing 101. So there, there's another thing I don't understand that we're not going to discuss. I still can't understand Bitcoin. 
So, Mike, when we're at the conference, maybe you can explain it to me. We'll do a whole, we'll do a whole thing on so cryptocurrency. Just don't what, is it you, what is it you get when you buy a, a Bitcoin? Yeah, I know. I, I'm the same way. I, I don't know, you know, and exactly what, is, what triggers uh, what its is, value. It's, it's kind of like stocks. It's just it, yeah. it's supply and demand. What, 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 and is, what is Bitcoin mining, and how is it? That there can only be so many bitcoins mined, and yet there are other cryptocurrencies. But that's a that's a yeah, it's question for another. Day. Now there's a what dogcoin? That's the the latest okay, trend in crypto. <laughs> is, yeah, and, and I know these these um, these bitcoin mining and you know cryptocurrency mining operations. Uh, uh, there's a measurable amount of energy uh, sucked up off oh, yeah. the grid, yeah. running all these computers, you know, 24 hours a day, and keeping them cool, and and and. Uh, you know, in, in hopes yeah. that they stumble across a, a Bitcoin, you know. Well, I, I read that China is thinking of really getting into this big in a big way. And people in the article said it require, will require so much electricity that it will impact global global warming. So that's got to right. be a pretty significant amount of right. electricity. Right. Well, when Bitcoins were worth $8, I don't think there was a whole lot of mining going on. But uh, <laughs> now, yeah, I, I, I also admit I, I understand the concept of cryptocurrencies. Ask me how it works. No yeah. clue. Uh, other than I know they live in, you know, in, in, yeah. in a computer somewhere and they're, they're hyper secure. And, 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 and yet, blockchain is an important part of it. And blockchain so. is an important part of it. And blockchain has applications outside of cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, let's get a speaker. That's, that's your challenge. Yeah, but, is but, bring by, a speaker by their that. reaction, I think Raga and Nadia actually understand it all. Maybe I'll have to see, and they can present a paper. Okay. On we'll get to Hawaii <laughs> two days that. earlier. No, we'll sit by the way. pool with our mai tais, and you guys can educate us on <laughs> the ins and outs of cryptocurrency. There are worse places to learn. So, um, uh, Raga and Nadia, um, you've you've been involved in the electronic assembly industry through your a your education, your participation at Panpack, writing these papers, working with uh, Dr. Ron. Um, I know you you both broke my heart because earlier when we were prepping for the show uh, and you said, you know, you're not immediately planning on entering this industry, but I have my hopes that, that our industry will get our hands on to you and, and eventually you'll come in. Uh, what direction are you taking, uh, particularly with all this um, knowledge and, and experience through your education um, about things that affect our industry? What, what direction are you going to go? Let's start with Raga. Yeah, I'm I'm a engineering and economics major, so I'm actually taking a finance route and I'm doing investment banking in biotech. So that's where I'm starting off um, next year. But yeah, we'll see after that. Maybe I'll come back into the electrical engineering world and yeah, unsure. So your but, your your undergrad is electrical engineering. It's. Uh, Dartmouth has a general liberal okay. arts engineering sciences major, so I've touched upon everything from like mechanical to electrical. Oh, very um, well-rounded engineering. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's good. It, it's definitely Before a great discuss, experience. Oh, go ahead. oh, sorry. No, I was just no, saying it, it's definitely a nice format for the um, engineering program and something you don't really find in a lot of schools where you immediately specialize into like chemical engineering per se, because you really get to see how they all interconnect and I've enjoyed it because of that. Be before we ask Nadia uh, uh, what she's going to do, so so it, it will make sense to you. I need to take a step back. Annika and <laughs> Nadia are, are are local to Dartmouth, and they were both high school students. I think Annika's a year older, and I think she was number one in her class at Thetford Academy, and I think Nadia was number one in her class a year later. 
And I taught a program, a course in the summer, um, intended for non-engineers. It's called Materials: The Substance of Civilization, and it it covers like Stone Age, Copper Age, Bronze Age, um, Iron Age, and today maybe the Silicon Age. And I needed some teaching assistance. So when they were juniors in high school, they became teaching assistants for me for a couple of years. And so I got to know them. And um, Nadia is really good at math. And so I thought she was going to be an engineer or a math major. But as time went on, she um, I'll, I'll, she can tell you what she's majoring in. But when I wanted to write the paper on Weibel analysis, I said, well, to myself, even though she's not majoring in engineering right now, she's good at mathematics, so she should be able to write the paper. So that's why I uh, recruited her, even though she's not an engineering student. So Nadia, why don't you tell us what you're going to do now? Uh, yeah, so I, I did um, originally think I was going to do um, an econ major with a math minor. That was kind of my original plan. Um, I have still never taken an engineering course, uh, which is interesting, but I have TA'd some. Um, yeah, but so my majors are anthropology and linguistics. Um, and so, yeah, pretty removed um, in most ways from the electronics industry, but uh, I, I love it. I mean, linguistics is, linguistics especially is just um, definitely my passion. I, I love it so much. Um, and I'll be taking a year after I graduate this spring, um, off, you know, just doing, uh, you know, different things, but then I'll be going to grad school for a PhD in linguistics. Um, that's my plan right now. So I'll be applying, uh, to grad schools this year, but yeah. So specifically, um, historical and theoretical linguistics, that's kind uh, of the... Actually, she's too modest to say this, but you tell me if I get anything wrong in this, Nadia. She is born into a family that is monolingual in English, and she speaks, or she's proficient in every Romance language, but Romanian. Is that right? Yes, wow. yeah. <laughs> so, so Italian, French, Spanish, and Portuguese, right? Wow. Yes, yeah, yeah. So the, the old joke, I'm sure you've heard this many times, my daughter would be rolling her eyes because she considers it in the category of dad jokes, but um, <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, the name for someone who speaks three languages is trilingual, two languages, bilingual, one language, American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I do have a lot of respect for people who, who learn other languages. My parents were immigrants. My mother from Scotland, so obviously English, okay. although one can say we're separated by a common language, you know, the, with the accent and the slang. And my father immigrated from Poland. And so he, he learned English uh, kind of on the road and uh, never spoke Polish at home. I, I always regret that he didn't teach us Polish, although in Southern California, it's not a very handy language. You know, Spanish would be a more convenient, more practical language to learn. But um, I just always regretted that he never taught us something because we lost that, the opportunity. He could have... Yeah. When you're yeah. a child, I mean, your brain is you know, very moldable. You can learn those languages much yeah. more easily as a child than you can as an adult. But Yeah, um, for, for me, my father spoke uh, Slovak. Lasky uh, is a Slovak name. Mm. And, but, but he never thought to speak it. Uh, my, mother, my mother was not Slovak, so he never spoke it, and so I never learned right. it. Well, my dad was one of the I generations of, you know, in the 50s that came over, and, you know, America's our new home. We're going to speak English yeah. and, and English, leave yeah. the yeah. old country behind. You know, there was not yeah, this, yeah. this uh, attitude of embracing your culture and, you know, like we have today. Sure. But um, sure. so um, 
uh, Nadia and, and Raga, tell me about your perceptions, and we'll kind of wrap up with this, uh, on the electronic assembly industry. What are your perceptions? I know you're not taking the route directly. We'll get you later. Um, but um, what, what are your perceptions of this industry? What can, in your, in your view, what can it do better? What is it doing well? What are the challenges coming up as you see it from your uh, perch uh, in your corner of the world uh, through um, academia and through the experience you've had working with Dr. Ron and others and, and mingling with some of the, the players in this business at PanPAC and any other events you've been to? Anyone can start. <laughs> That's kind of a, a tall question. <laughs> yeah, it's a tall question. It's just, just your perceptions. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just curious um, for someone that's um, educated and has dabbled in our industry, uh, at least from you know witnessing point of view. Um, you know, what are your perceptions? Is, is I, a, I can help maybe jog your memory a little bit. There you go. Um, what did you think about the ratio of men to women and young people to old people at the conference? There weren't very many women, right? There were some. But there was hardly yeah. anybody your age. Yeah. And that's one of the things we worry about. We, we don't have yeah. young people coming that are going to replace people like me in 15 or 20 years. Yeah, we were talking Definitely. about that pre-show. We, were, we, were, we got on that subject that uh, it always warms my heart when I see someone young and, and particularly female. And, you know, not to drive gender, you know, in this uh, age where you know, people don't like to talk about gender. I, I do think we need more women. We need more young people in this industry. It's just a bunch of old white men, for the most part, uh, in our industry. And, and uh, I think that needs to change. And we need to be challenged to look at things differently. And if it's just the same old guys going to every symposium, giving every paper, um, we're not going to think differently. We're going to just maybe think a little faster. We'll, we'll innovate to some degree, but we won't have that completely out of the ballpark revolutionary idea. We'll just evolutionize forever. We won't revolutionize. And, and we need people from outside our industry. We need fresh blood, fresh ideas, and not someone who remembers, yeah, we tried that and it didn't work, right? Because that's, that's my generation. Yeah, we tried that, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, I turned my company over to my team. My team is substantially younger than me and they run the company and it's, scared me to death to do that because there you want to try things that I've tried before and I know they won't work. And then all of a sudden they try them and they do work. They just come from a different perspective. They don't know what they don't know, which is this sense of naivety, which is a compliment. It, it's a, it's an attribute to be naive. And I think uh, uh, Steve Jobs said at a, I think at Stanford at a commencement address, you know, stay hungry, you know, keep, keep learning. And so anyway, um, what, what are you, what, what do you guys think of this? Of yeah, this I think from a student in. perspective too, like it's, it's definitely more difficult to access this industry when you don't have female mentors, at least at Dartmouth, like mentorship is something that's like been very key for me throughout the years. And it, yeah, it'd be definitely nice if you, if there were more females, like executives in those roles, reaching out and speaking with people our age about like, electronic industry and what opportunities there are for people like me and Nadia. Um, Raga, can, and you, can you mention how, how many females there are in your engineering class? Isn't it like 40% or close to 50% female? Well, Dartmouth, I think is pretty special. I think actually the year that I entered, they graduated more females 
than males from the engineering school. And I think that's partially because of the liberal arts approach to engineering and my engineering mentor actually, um, like right when I came into Dartmouth, my mentor was a female engineering professor, which is really nice to have. Same with my physics professor. So I think, I mean, overall, depends on the courses, but the proportion is usually under 50%, but I do think it's been better at Dartmouth. Yeah, and I do think, I mean, I had a lot of friends from high school, male friends who went on to do engineering at different schools, and they have said that it's it's still very, very male-dominated at their schools. Like, I know this one boy that I went to high school with, he went to UVA, and just because of the history, the engineering building still only has male bathrooms still which <laughs> is still, crazy wow. that's crazy <laughs> um, i agree <laughs> so yeah it's it's i think dartmouth is a really special place in that way that you know there are so many women in stem in general and in engineering in particular for sure yeah dr Ronnie, let me mention a, a, a little bit about uh indium corporation in this regard uh indium corporation does have a lot of young engineers and i just had a Zoom call today with a female engineer that's been there just six months or nine months. And um, it looks like we're going to write a paper together for SMTAI. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to encourage the younger people I know that are in the industry to, to get involved. And um, I think I'm, I'm going to try to figure out a way too to see if I can get somebody, uh, some of the young engineers from Indian Corporation uh, at PANPAC 2020 too yeah. also. Yeah, I had um, Indium's Kay Parker on my show. Uh, yeah, yeah, early, early yeah. guest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah, asked, sure. I contacted the uh, Rick Short, and I said, yeah. "Give me a name of you know, I want to bring one of your engineers on the show and talk about solder paste and and give me a you know, give me a name of someone or or several people who would be good candidates." And and she was among the list of about eight or nine people. So, uh, yeah, very interesting conversation. I do admire Indium a lot in that their approach to marketing is education-based as opposed to buy my product. It's in a shiny can, you know, it's, it's better than everyone else's and you know, whatever their, their approach to selling consumable products is, is to educate customers. And, and I, I find that that's how we do it yeah. in our company. We, we sell through yeah. education because educated uh, people make educated choices. And, yeah. you know, and I think that's, that's a way to do it, particularly these days. Um, I, I really appreciate all of you uh, being on the show. Annika, we missed you, but uh, you were well represented by Dr. Ron. Uh, and I hope that uh, we'll see all of you in, uh, in sunny, warm Hawaii uh, in, in eight or nine months. Yeah. Oh, uh, Honolulu this time. Honolulu. I, I was yeah. glad about that because I like a little bit and, of and, and the nightlife. resort is just off of Waikiki Beach, so it's a little more private. But yeah. I think you can get to Waikiki Beach in like, Five minutes so yes should be really nice yeah nice. yeah i there's no bad place to to do this thing <laughs> oh, no. No, islands, right? there's really uh, there's better and even better but better, yeah uh, but i am glad that's it's it's on uh it it's uh on in honolulu i think that's wonderful that's my favorite of the islands because i love the resort atmosphere you know sit by a pool feel like you're the only person on earth but i also like to step out and and 
you know, have nightlife choices and things like that. So mm-hmm. you get a little bit of both. Um, my, my experience with Maui. And beautiful nature. And beautiful nature. Yeah. Absolutely. Maui is absolutely beautiful. The problem is Maui goes to bed at eight o'clock. And I mean, the whole <laughs> island just kind of goes to bed at eight o'clock. And, and I'm still wide awake wanting to, you know, be friends with people. So it's, it's nice to, it's nice to go to Honolulu. That'll be really good. Uh, Dr. Ron, thanks for all you do. Thanks for um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. coming up with this idea. I really appreciate it. And uh, Raga and Nadia and, and virtual Annika, thank you so much for uh, being my guest today. I, I don't think I need to wish you any luck. I think, uh, I think you are already on that trajectory. Uh, so I wish you all the best uh, in your, in your uh, career. And uh, I do hope that we see you in our industry at some point. I think we could, uh, we could definitely benefit from uh, your expertise and, and uh, all of your knowledge. So I hope we do get to see you for purely selfish reasons in our industry. But good, good for the linguistics of the world, uh, linguists of the world, and good for the investment bankers of the world. And, and our, our loss, their gain. Yeah, and uh, Nadia and I you. and Annika, yeah, thank you so much. And we also wanted to thank Dr. Ron for like giving us this opportunity in the first place to co-author this paper and go to Hawaii. Like, we really appreciate it. And I think he's one of the few professors who really exposed us to this world. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. We'll see you again soon. Well, that's another episode. Thanks for listening or watching the Reliability Matters podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Reliability Matters on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or virtually wherever you get your podcasts. A video version of this podcast is available on our Reliability Matters YouTube channel. Be sure and subscribe to that as well. A special thanks to Circuit Assembly Magazine's PCB Chat at PCBChat.com and Ascendo Reliability at Reliability.fm for syndicating the show. Thanks for your questions and episode suggestions. Please keep them coming. Send comments to my email address, mike at mikeconrad.com. That's Conrad with a K. Once again, thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy, and keep doing it right. Thanks for listening to the Reliability Matters podcast. Join us on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for new episodes of Reliability Matters.